This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Thirty-one-year-old Gareth Williams from North Wales had a passion for cycling. He was known to bike long distances and compete in road races. His passion for cycling may have been the only personal thing people knew about him. He was, by all accounts, an incredibly private person who disliked office small talk and did his best to avoid social events. To most, he was a total mystery. Gareth Williams was incredibly smart graduating from university at just 17, before pursuing a PhD at the University of Manchester in England. A gifted mathematician, in 2001, Williams went to work for the British intelligence agency known as the Government Communication Headquarters, or GCHQ. The equivalent in the US is the National Security Agency, otherwise known as the NSA. His projects were top secret, but speculation was that his work involved cyber-terrorism and code-breaking. Nine years later, Gareth Williams would become the focus of an extraordinary mystery. His intensely private life became very public when in 2010, the government agent was found dead inside a padlocked duffel bag. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to this episode of True. On August 23, 2010, the body of Gareth Williams was discovered in the bathroom of his top-floor London apartment. He was on a one-year special assignment to the British Secret Intelligence Service, also known as MI6, and his apartment was located inside an agency-owned safe house. When authorities entered the unit, it didn't take them long to notice the red duffel bag placed neatly in the center of his bathtub. It also didn't take them long to notice that the bag was padlocked from the outside, with no sign of the key. The bathroom was clean, as was the rest of his apartment, with no obvious signs anywhere of a struggle or crime. Aside from the red bag in the bathtub, investigators found very little out of the ordinary. They did, however, note that the apartment was abnormally warm and were surprised to find that the heat had been turned on and set to the highest temperature. Odd, they thought seeing how it was the middle of summer. When investigators released the padlock and opened the zipper of the red sports bag, they found the naked and badly decomposing body of Gareth Williams. The body could not have been more than a week old, but with the thermostat set to the maximum heat, the rate of decomposition was greatly advanced. The medical examiner would later disclose that the condition of the body was in such a state that the cause of death could not be established. Detectives on scene reported no signs that the red duffel bag had been disturbed, noting it showed no evidence of stress that would indicate Gareth Williams tried to escape. When examined closer, investigators were surprised to find no trace of fingerprints on the bag. More alarming, there were no fingerprints anywhere on or around the tub on the floor, or the walls. Investigators were unable to find a single trace of DNA on the outside of the bag, and not a single footprint 
fingerprint, or palm print anywhere in the bathroom. Adding to the growing list of questions was how can a person, in this case a naked person, leave no forensic trace while cramming themselves into a duffel bag. It appeared to detectives as though the place had been wiped clean. Their report also indicated that the front door of the unit had been locked from the outside. Investigators clearly had an unusual mystery on their hands. With the highly classified and potentially dangerous nature of the victim's work, coupled with his intensely private life, solving it would prove to be challenging. Despite recent moves towards apparent greater openness, MI6 is by nature and necessity a highly secretive organization. Early on in the investigation, Metropolitan Police detectives, trying to work with MI6 and GCHQ, reported that the intelligence agencies consistently made attempts to derail their investigation. They claimed that requests to interview colleagues of Gareth Williams were repeatedly denied. Detectives were also concerned that vital evidence had been withheld. At this stage, police had very little to go on, and it's now gradually emerging that a lot of the apparent evidence was actually misleading. Detectives focused on the intelligence agencies even more so when they learned how long it took them to report their employee missing. A former agent was recorded in an interview saying that within hours, an agency employee who had not reported for work would be flagged and tracked. With these strict protocols in place, it was curious to investigators why MI6 took eight days to report Gareth Williams missing. We want to bring in a retired MI6 agent. Now, because of his security clearance level, we can't show his face, but he's agreed to join us by phone from France. He's asking us not to disclose a more specific location to which we've agreed. You did say that one thing that, that, that really stood out for you was the length of time it took for his manager to, to basically follow up on the fact that he had been absent from work. Why did that stand out to you? Well... You know that when somebody goes missing and doesn't report for work, uh, at least in my time at the SIS, uh, in within two to four hours, somebody would check it. Interestingly, detectives learned that Williams was scheduled to lead a meeting at MI6 headquarters the day he was believed to have died, Monday, August 16th. They could not reconcile with the idea that someone with top-secret clearance to issues of national security could miss a meeting they were hosting and remain missing for over a week without raising anyone's attention. Well, it's extraordinary, really. Um, it's, it's, it's very curious. It's, it's one of the, uh, the overwhelming mysteries surrounding this case. How is it that somebody who uh, had a job such as his um, clearly did some very sensitive work could go missing for that period of time, um, and how is it that nobody knew where he was? The cloud of mystery grew when shortly after his death, numerous articles emerged portraying Williams as a transvestite with secret fetishes including bondage and SNM. These articles suggested that it was these interests that perhaps resulted in a sex game gone wrong. He'd visited bondage websites, gone to gay bars, and bought tickets to drag shows. New details about the intensely private life of MI6 spy Gareth Williams. Curiously, the slanderous publications always quoted unknown sources. Some believe that this was an attempted smear campaign and part of the intelligence service's ongoing attempts to deflect focus from the main issue. 
that one of their own had turned up dead under most unusual circumstances. Officers leading the investigation said that they hoped the information would help explain what happened to Mr. Williams, whose naked body was discovered tied up and locked inside a bag. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Authorities learned that Williams had been working closely with the NSA and FBI, focusing on anti-money laundering efforts. The work was thought to involve tracking the banking data of Russian mafia and other organized crime networks. This, of course, added to the speculation that it had been a professional hit. It's very interesting that when he was initially discovered, um, the story that was put out was that he was a backroom boy, effectively somebody who performed lowly functions, had a lowly status within, uh, within the organization he worked for. And, and yet we now discover that he, uh, shortly before he, he, he died, um, he completed a training course and could be deployed uh, on operations. Um, this suggests, at least, that he had a much higher status than, was initially, uh, than we, we were initially told about. After an almost two-year investigation, Metropolitan Police detectives admitted only that the death was, quote, suspicious and unexplained, but stressed that it was most likely due to an accident, shocking many who believed it couldn't be that simple. Gareth Williams' family never wavered from their belief that someone had something to do with their son's death. The family's lawyer, Anthony O'Toole, was quoted saying, There is a high probability that some third party was in the flat when Gareth was placed in the bag, there seems to be no trace of an unknown party in the flat. Our impression is that the unknown third party was a member of some agency specializing in the dark arts of the secret services, or evidence has been removed post-mortem by experts in the dark arts. The refusal of MI6, the NSA, and the FBI to share information and allow interviews of his colleagues stopped many potential trails before they started. How MI6 and the other British spy communities um, tend to treat uh, the law. They seem to think they're above British justice quite often, and they can hide behind the, the Official Secrets Act and the catch-all phrase of national security so that they are never held to account. So the very fact that you have a situation where they withhold vital evidence, which would have been demanded from any other organization by the police, is, I think, scandalous. The Williams family asked how it was possible that no trace of forensic evidence could be found in the bathroom if it hadn't been expertly cleaned. They wanted to know how multiple pathologists were unable to determine the cause of death of their physical fitness-obsessed son. How agents within MI6 failed to report him missing at all. As it turned out, it was the GCHQ who had reached out to MI6 about Williams' well-being. His main employer had tried to reach him, 
and when repeated calls to his cell phone went unanswered, they contacted MI6 to locate him as a high priority. That was on Friday, August 20th. On Monday, August 23rd, GCHQ became aware that for some reason, MI6 had not acted on their instructions to check his apartment. GCHQ then contacted police directly. Well, this case is going to continue to make headlines, as we've heard, around the world when the inquest opens next week. The coroner, Dr Fiona Wilcox, has already said it has caused much public anxiety and concern and, of course, great distress for Gareth Williams' family. The official coroner's inquest was launched in the spring of 2012, where the strange twists kept coming. Take, for example, the fact that when experts in the area of forced entries arrived at the scene, they were stunned to find that the unit's front door had been removed from the hinges and the locks were missing. Why had the apartment's front door been stripped of its hardware, and where had the hardware gone? During the inquest, coroner Dr. Fiona Wilcox presented evidence that showed it would have been almost impossible for Gareth Williams to have attached the padlock to both zippers and lock himself inside the duffel bag. Experts in the area of confined spaces were brought in to testify how unlikely it was that he could have closed the lock on his own. Two experts recorded over 400 attempts using the same make of the padlock and the red North Face sports bag. They failed every time. The two experts, William McKay and Peter Falding, were quoted saying, We got close but close is still far away. That was based upon hundreds and hundreds of attempts. Maybe if we had tried it 2,000 times, we would have done it. I don't know, but there were two of us. Peter Falding testified, quote, I cannot say it's impossible, but I think even Houdini would struggle with this one. I believe he was placed in the bag by a third person. However, the inquest heard that Williams apparently had at least one previous experience with escape artistry. A prior landlord testified that Williams had woken her and her husband up with shouts for help. According to her testimony, he had managed to somehow tie his feet and hands to his bed and was unable to free himself. He explained to the landlords that he was simply testing his escape skills and went on to say that he would never attempt it again. The surprises kept coming. Early on, investigators had found a DNA clue on Williams' body, and it was believed that it could belong to the killer. It reportedly took Scotland Yard almost two years of pursuing this potentially case-breaking lead to discover that the DNA actually belonged to a forensic scientist. The scientist had accidentally contaminated the victim's body sample. It was an incredible disappointment to the investigation and a huge embarrassment to the forensic lab. As the 2012 inquest continued, Dr. Wilcox claimed that evidence such as documents and letters had mysteriously disappeared, that other evidence had not been shared, and that authorities had also withheld the names of some witnesses. One example, she told the inquest, was that she later discovered that Gareth Williams' cell phone had been restored to its factory settings only hours before his suspected time of death on August 16th. It had been left neatly placed on a table in his apartment. With so many gaps in the available information about his classified work and personal life, Dr. Wilcox suggested his phone could have been intentionally wiped in an effort to hide a history of communications. 
she also reinforced her belief that Williams' death was not an accident. She suggested that if it had been an accident as the Metropolitan Police concluded, Williams' natural reaction would be to try and escape the bag. Dr. Wilcox gave testimony that there were no traces of any common drugs or alcohol found in Williams' system. The remains showed no apparent signs of a struggle and exhibited no injuries, and those first on scene described his body position as peaceful. She argued that if it had been an accident, a person's natural survival instinct would have taken over and forced action. But as evidence clearly showed, there was no distress to the zipper or fabric of the bag. Authorities provided evidence that showed Gareth Williams had tens of thousands of dollars of women's clothes in his apartment at the time of his death. Dr. Wilcox testified that Williams was not a transvestite and stated that she firmly believed that there was no sexual motive. The presence of the clothes may have been answered by the fact that, according to records, Williams had registered for several part-time fashion classes at a nearby college. However, this raised the question of why he hadn't reported his course enrollment to the intelligence agency, as protocol requires. Some have speculated that these were planted to reinforce the cross-dressing narrative. Dr. Wilcox echoed the popular theory that claims from unknown sources that Williams was involved in sex games was a malicious campaign to trash his reputation. Those familiar with agency techniques will tell you that it's common to use smear campaigns to discredit victims and distract from the crime. The sex game gone wrong cover story is said to be featured in almost every spy organization's training manual. It's interesting to note that three known GCHQ agents have died dating back to the early 1980s under similar circumstances as Gareth Williams. All three were said to have died accidentally during sex games gone wrong. The whole scenario is, is more bizarre than, than fiction itself. But I think what we're seeing here is the, the evidence seems to suggest that another party may have been involved. The coroner's inquest brought many of the extraordinary circumstances to public light. The inquest determined that the death of Gareth Williams was, quote, unnatural and likely to have been criminally mediated. Soon after the inquest's conclusion, the Metropolitan Police Department announced that they would be re-examining the case. The inquest has raised several new lines of inquiry and the investigation will now refocus and actively pursue all the evidence heard and all the new lines of inquiry. The 12-month investigation that followed ended the same way the first had, with detectives concluding that he most likely died as a result of accidentally locking himself in the duffel bag. The investigation into the death of 31-year-old Gareth Williams is over for now, but there are those who think the police are wrong. It would be a couple of years before the case would make headlines again. In late 2015, a retired KGB agent named Boris Karpichkov was quoted claiming to have knowledge of Gareth Williams' death. The former agent, who now lives in England, told the journalist that Williams was killed by the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service, known as the SVR, when they failed to recruit him as a double agent. According to the former spy, 
Williams had threatened to disclose the existence of a Russian spy within the GCHQ if they didn't end their attempts to blackmail him. Karpichkov claimed that the SVR couldn't let that happen, and used an untraceable poison administered into the ear to kill Williams. With all the unanswered questions, and given the string of deaths and attempted assassinations in England over the years, it's not far-fetched to think that's what might have actually happened in this very strange case. True is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by me. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. Cover art and design was created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Comments? Questions? Get a hold of us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. A huge thanks for listening. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.